Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 18 of our New York Giants podcast, Talk is Cheap, right here on NJ.com. Of course, you can always subscribe on iTunes and subscribe on Stitcher. I'm Joe with me as we have every week now. Jordan and James are two Giants beat reporters for NJ.com, and the two of them are getting ready for a trip. Let's go to James first. James, week one on the beat. Uh, tell us about, you know, just the initial impressions with the Giants week one here. Well, Joe, it's a, it's a little bit different than high school, so I, I can obviously tell you that, but it's it's been a good week so far. You know, lots of news, uh, good week of practice. You know, it's been kind of fun to, to get started, and I, I'm looking forward to this first road trip, I guess, on the beat. Yeah, and Jordan, you guys are heading out to Cincinnati now. We'll get into this a little bit. Uh, but this will be fun because, you know, just from a reader perspective, from a, a fan perspective, we get to find out a little bit about the Giants against other competition, not their own teammates. And for you guys, I think it'll probably be a, a little easier to, you know, get some thoughts on what we're really seeing because they're going to go up against other people other than their teammates. Yeah, definitely. What we really know right now is kind of where that depth chart is set at, at least going into this. But it could be, you know, now it's uh, okay. Now you're going, you're going to face outside competition, guys who want to knock your head off and don't really, you know, care if they knock your head off because they're not on the same team with you anymore. So everything sort of settles out, you know, now now that there will be tape of these guys, practice tape and game tape, with these players against an opposing team, and that will be huge for the coach's evaluation. So that depth chart is going to change probably at the beginning of next week. But right now there's some interesting things on that depth chart already. There are. Let's get to that. We'll go to the depth chart now. Before the end of this episode, we will touch on the passing of Frank Gifford at the age of 84. We'll give some thoughts on one of the greats of all time with the New York Giants. But, Jordan, you mentioned the depth chart there. It came out as they head to Cincinnati. Um, let's start with the offensive line, and because that's, I think, where everyone's looking on this depth chart right now, and then we'll get to some of the other positions. But across the board, left to right, Flowers, Pew, Richburg, Schwartz, Newhouse, and I think, you know, off the bat, Newhouse is probably going to be the guy, right, that we look at because I don't think anyone really expected or wanted him to be a starter when the season, you know, began here, when the summer began, but circumstances as they are, uh, Marshall Newhouse starting at right tackle, Jordan. Yeah, but, I mean, there's nothing unexpected there. He spent every practice as basically as a first-team right tackle. I mean, he split one day with Jeff Schwartz, so he's your right tackle. So there's really no surprises there. The biggest surprise on the depth chart, I think, at least on the offensive side, to me the two biggest surprises are Daniel Fells over Larry Donnell at tight end. I know Donnell had an Achilles problem over the spring, but still for him to be listed behind him, because if you think about it, that's kind of how last year ended when the Giants came out to start the games the last couple, the last 
I think it was three or four, maybe even five weeks. Daniel Fells was out there first because he was a more complete tight end. He could handle the blocking. So they almost split the time. So that to me is telling. And Kerry Wynn as the def- starting defensive end in JPP spot, uh, that means something to me as well. I mean, they could have put Demontre Moore there. They could have put uh, George Selvey there. But, you know, Kerry, Moore, Kerry Wynn is the one who was listed. Now, look, nothing set in stone. This is just uh, this is an unofficial depth chart. But, hey, if the Giants organization is putting it together, you would think that the Giants organization is asking people that are decision makers in the organization what to be what they should be putting down on that paper. So, you know, Kerry Wynn, hey, good for him. Uh, you kind of like – they said Kerry Wynn's the kind of guy you want to see him play. He's the kind of guy you don't – you can't really tell how good he is until he puts those pads on. He's a big, strong guy, and, and he kind of pops when he does that. So, I think when they put the pads on this past week, Kerry Wynn kind of impressed him. Let's touch on both of those positions you mentioned there, Jordan. Tight end first, and then we'll go back to the defensive end with Kerry Wynn. You mentioned Fells over Donnell at the tight end position. James, from what you've seen the first week here or so, I mean, do you think this is in any way a response to the fact that the offensive line isn't where they want it right now, so maybe a better blocking tight end out there to lend a hand rather than Donnell, who's more of a receiving tight end? Or is, Donnell, is you know, Fells maybe right now just the better option? What do you take out of the tight end flip-flop, or, or like Jordan put it, what it was at the end of last year? You know, Joe, I, I think it, that definitely has something to do with it, the fact that the offensive line has some uncertainty. And, you know, Fells is, is much further along in terms of a, a run blocker than Larry Donnell is. I think it was on Saturday. And the emphasis is on the run there. The emphasis is on the run all summer. It's going to be like that. You know, Jordan's right. I think it was Saturday at practice, 11-11 drills, or, you know, maybe actually I think I believe it was Friday. Larry Donnell had a couple of great catches, looked good coming off the line, had some explosives and cuts, but then they ran a stretch play to, the, to his side, and he let Cullen Jenkins get right across his face and blow the play up in the backfield. You know, Daniel Fells is a veteran guy who, you know, he might not have the, the same physical explosiveness and gifts that Larry Donnell has right now, but he's reliable, he's going to catch the ball, and he's going to block when he's called upon to do that, so... I was not as – I think it's a surprise that Larry Donnell's not listed as the starter, but I can see why Fells is there. When a guy like Fells, you know, when I think when the average fan sees this or if they listen to our podcast here or if they turn the game on Friday night and they see Fells out there before Donnell, I think based on last year, some of the big games Donnell had early in the season with all those touchdown catches, they might be a little surprised. I mean, do Giants fans overrate Donnell a little bit because of the big games he had? Or do you guys look at him you – know, Jordan, what do you look at him as? We've talked about him before, but – Right now, heading to this season, what is Larry Donnell to you? I mean, if you think Larry Donnell is a Pro Bowl tight end, then I think you've overrated him. If you think he could be a successful pass-catching tight end, pretty much what he did, you know, 60-catch, uh, what, six, 700-yard kind of guy with, you know, six or eight touchdowns, I, I think that's fairly reasonable. I mean, he can, he can make plays. He can go up and get the football. He's strong, uh, you know, in the air. and. I, you know, if you're going to ever expect him to be a great blocker, I, I don't think that's going to be his strength. But, hey, the, the tight end position is one where you're able to sort of use guys by their skill and rotate guys in and out. So, uh, But still, you know, at this point last year, we didn't expect Larry Dennell to be the first string tight end. And the Giants, when they put this first depth chart out, he was the first tight end, and it meant something. So uh, I think this means something, too, that they're, they're – planning on uh, using 
their tight ends for their skills and mixing and matching and putting them all together because they don't have that tight end. And Kevin Gilbride Jr., who's a tight ends coach, has said this, that, you know, they're going to utilize the skills and put the guys on the field to, you know, do what they do best to make that one complete tight end rather than have some guy on the field 90, 99% of the snaps. So, to me, that was the biggest surprise. I mean, James, you said it wasn't the biggest surprise for you. What did surprise you then? Well, one thing that surprised me getting to the defensive side of the ball was that Jeremy Miles is listed as a third-team safety. Um, you know, I figured that Collins and Jackson would be on that first-team slots because they had had the majority of the work in practice lately with the first team. But you know, Jeremy Miles is the only guy on the roster in the safety position that started an NFL game. To see him at third team, but he wasn't on the he wasn't on the team. He wasn't on the team as recently as uh, you know oh, that's true. three weeks ago, pretty much. So I, I think. So I think that played into it. That's why James Jones was sort of at the was at, was at the very bottom of the wide receiver ranking. Uh, and these new guys, I think they're going to make them earn it or at least learn the, the system before they're going to put them up higher. So for me, that was I think that might have been the reason why Jeremy Miles was there. But I mean, you know, Michael Thompson's above him, and I think that's only because he's been here since the beginning of the spring, whereas Jeremy Miles wasn't here in the spring. James, you had mentioned the safeties there and, and the depth there behind the starters, and you mentioned Collins and Jackson right now, your two starting safeties, which isn't a surprise based on you know what's been happening the first week of camp, but it is kind of startling to look at. So little experience there for the Giants starters at safety this coming Friday night. I mean, we're the Giants fans are coming off a years and years of entree role for, you know, he was a really good and really experienced mm-hmm. safety, really from the minute he arrived from Arizona. Played now, out his whole contract. Right, and he did. It turned out to be a really good contract, the five-year deal, and, and he gave them good years. Now Collins and Jackson, should Giants fans be excited? We'll go, to, uh, we'll go to Jordan here. Excited about the talent, the young talent here, or nervous about the youth? I think it's both because, uh, you know, from what I've seen, I've, kinda, I've actually been pleasantly surprised by what I've seen from the safeties. Like, I'm not looking at it like, holy cow, it's a complete disaster out there which I might say about the offensive line at times when I look out there. Uh, but, you know, there's going to be rookie mistakes. There's going to be uh, rookie breakdowns and problems. And, you know, or even if it's not rookie, inexperience, you know, is going to sh- rear its head at times. So, but at the same time, as I, you know, Landon Collins, there's definitely reason to be optimistic there. Bennett Jackson, I like that skill set. Uh, I, I said it from the beginning that I think he has this, the, the best skill set on this roster to be that free safety, safe, free safety center fielder type spot. And, uh, so, and, and But his knee being healthy was a huge key because he had microfracture surgery last year. And so far, so good. But now we still need to see them hit. You know, safeties don't, aren't able to go and tackle guys to the ground in, in practice. And, uh, and so we're going to start seeing that in the preseason game, and that, that's sort of when we're going to find a little more about Bennett Jackson. But so far, for me, present, pleasantly surprised with the safeties, actually. James, do they complement each other? I mean, you have Collins, you have Jackson, both young guys, as Jordan was just saying, and, and he's been pleasantly surprised. But Collins we know of as more of a hitter. Jackson, uh, great athlete, great New Jersey high school athlete back in the day, and now trying to find his way in this giant second. Do those two guys complement each other with their skill sets? I think so, because you remember, you know, Jackson transitioned from cornerback, so he's got maybe much better coverage skills than, than a traditional safety would have. You know, I think the safeties coach David Merritt said they're trying to find the two best guys that fit there, and from all indications from, you know, from what we've seen and what they've been putting out at practice each day, it looks like those guys might have the 
the early lead in terms of the two, the tandem that they think will fit best back there. They definitely do. It's not an accident that Bennett Jackson's at the top of that list of the depth chart because he wouldn't have been there last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's be honest. He, he wouldn't have been there. It would have been Cooper Taylor's name. And, and uh, you know, it's also – you also have to take into consideration, and I think the Giants are thinking this as well. They look at Landon Collins. They see his skill set. We said this from day one. He's a more in-the-box type of guy. I know he played deep in, in Alabama. He has physical skills. But, you know, you want him to play – he can play deep, but you want him to play a little bit more if you had the choice. You want him to play more, let him go in there and be a factor against the run. So, therefore, when you look at that, you, want, you don't want to stick him back there in a role, especially a rookie, that isn't best suited for him. So, the fact that you have a guy who's more of a, a natural – center fielder type probably than him aside him, I think would also, you know, it makes both spots better. Guys, as I look at the offensive line right now, I look at the depth chart with Flowers, Pew, Richburg, Schwartz, Newhouse, you know, a couple words come to mind, you know, uh, they have to be, you have to come together, they have to mesh. Um, they have injuries on that offensive line. They're not whole where they want to be. The one word that doesn't come to mind right now, for me at least, is toughness. I'm not going to say they are that tough, I'm not going to say they aren't, but last week, there was a story, Sean O'Hara, of course, the former New York Giants center when they were winning a championship back in 07, uh, he came out and questioned the offensive line's toughness because they had some days off, missed some practice, nursing some nagging injury, especially with Jeff Schwartz in the ankle. What was your takeaway not on that? Not an accident either. Not an accident. That comment was not an accident. It didn't just come out. It wasn't a joke. Uh, I think he was out there two days. He saw them practice and then... Uh, you know, he hears that he leaves, and next time they're out there, he hears that they're not out there. So he was trying to send a message to some of the guys that he knows on that line that, hey, you know, can't be sitting out with these little knocks. This isn't, this isn't how you you put together a good line. So for me, uh, he was sending a message, almost like a big brother, father figure type message Uh Maybe, you know, not even something that offensive line coach Pat Flaherty objected to. Interesting. So they could have been uh, – I mean, it could have a good effect, obviously, if he gets through them. The other side of it as well, obviously, is James. I mean, to me, O'Hara played his entire career, basically, before the new CBA. I mean, things have changed here the last few years where – and you've seen it this past week. I mean, the practices are different. And you're not in full pads two days. It, it's just different now. I, I, I wonder that a little bit, James, from it, where – it's a player that played not that long ago, but the game was a little different, at least, at least in training camp when O'Hara was out there. No, definitely. I think some of the older guys, you know, kind of lean towards that old way. I mean, you know, John Beeson the other day said, yeah, I wish we had two days and we could hit more. And it's kind of like, well, you know, your, your Players Association came up with this whole setup. But, um, no, I, I think I agree with Jordan. Sean O'Hara, was, I think, was trying to send a message and I think that in terms of how it resonated, the fact that Justin Pugh, who, who's the leader of this offensive line, comes out the next day. Which is scary, by the way, because he's not, he hasn't been around that long. I know, but, but he, he's the guy who started this whole toughness thing on day one of training camp. He's the guy who came out and said it. Uh, you know, he's, he's the guy who you know, has been kind of mixing it up on the line. You know, he obviously had to fight. The first fight of the summer, you know, he's been a, he's been out there every day. The fact that he came out and said, "I talked to Sean, we're good. I get what he's saying. You know, we love him." To me, I think that Sean O'Hara's motivational ploy looks like worked. How yeah, is- really he really has those guys in his ear, though. I think that's where that message is coming from. Like, you know, he he's 
he's very friendly with Chris Snee. He's uh, a guy he worked out with a lot. You know, he he's friend. He's he's uh, you know has a good relationship with O'Hara with Deal. So uh, you know, th those guys are chirping in his ear. How has Pew looked? To me, he is the key to the offensive line this year, and he has to bounce back because I thought his rookie year he was very good for a rookie in there in his first year. Last year, I thought he took a step back, and now they have him moving positions. Now you guys just said he's a very young leader on this offensive line. Jordan, you've seen Pew for years now. How does he look to you? And I understand they haven't played in full pads yet, so technique and all that. I mean, you can't give me all those answers. But just, you know, body language-wise and out there, does he look like he's ready to go back to that level they need him to be? Yeah, I, I think Justin Pew looks good, actually. Uh, he's gained his body fat is down the lowest it's ever been. Uh, he's, he's stronger than he was last year. Uh, and really, I think last year he kind of, you know, Mentally got into a little bit of a funk and then guy had a, some physical problems. And so I think the concerns with Justin Pugh got a little overstated. I think this is a guy who's maybe he's not going to be a, a, an all-pro or a pro ball player, but this is a pretty good player. And uh, I think that you see that when you look out on the field. You see, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. He's a solid player. Whereas at other positions on that line, you're just not so sure at this point. All right, as you guys head to Cincinnati, it's interesting. The team they're facing here, uh, or, you know, he's practicing against and then facing on Friday, uh, a good team that's been to the playoffs, you know, quite a few years in a row now. Which matchups are you going to watch for through the week and then in the game? When you look at the Bengals versus the Giants this whole week, uh, what kind of tests do you think the Bengals provide? Uh, we'll go to James here that, that will, you know, give you an idea with certain positions on the Giants. I mean, who's going to test them? Well, I think to start off right with the offensive line, you know, this is a, a Cincinnati good front seven, and they're going to be better because Ray Maluga. I mean, I he just got cleared today. The linebacker for the Bengals. I don't know how much he's going to do. I mean, obviously it'll be day two back for him, but this is a good front seven, and you know, a playoff team. They're going to get tested up front, and they're going to see, you know, finally what they can do. You know, it's one thing to be up against, you know, their their teammates. Now they're going to see another team. Yeah, let's see Weston Richburg. Let's see how he does against Geno Atkins. You know, we we hear you know we think that West uh, Weston Richburg could be a good player, and uh, you know last year he played a guard and he really wasn't a very good player. He was a below average player. So now he's more more in his natural position. But let's see how he does. You know, getting banged by guys from the other team and guys that we know are are good substantial players in the NFL. So that's that's pretty exciting. I'm a little scared to see the Giants are going to be shorthanded on the cornerback side with Prince Mukamara with a groin injury and Shockey Brown with a leg. I think it's knee. Uh, so they're, they're unlikely to be out there. So uh, they're pretty much they're not going to be out there. So, you know, A.J. Green or uh, even Mohamed Sanu or Marvin Jones or any of these guys against the whoever that other Giants cornerback is going to be opposite the Dominique rogers Camardi. I mean, when they got three cornerbacks in there, if it's going to be Tremaine McBride in the slot, it'll be DRC on the outside. It could be Trevin Wade or even J. Ron Hosley. I mean, hey, watch out. If A.J. Green's matched up with J. Ron Hosley, it's not going to be pretty. So uh, let's see how some of these cornerbacks can do. The depth that people have actually questioned, and I questioned too, some of this uh, cornerback depth, is really going to be tested uh, this week when – their second and maybe even third stringers are stepping into first string roles uh, with the first team defense. So 
should be very interesting on that side. I keep hearing, all I keep hearing out of Cincinnati when I read about their camp and their team right now is how great Tyler Eifert looks. Third year tight end out of Notre Dame. And he's six foot six. He looks the part, and maybe this is the year he starts playing that way and is a breakout player you know, for the Bengals. And, and he will be a, certainly a test for them on Friday night. As far as covering JT the, Thomas, JT Thomas, go. the linebacker, yeah. yeah. There you go. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, as far as covering the tight ends this year, and this is obviously a very talented one, but is Thomas going to be that guy? Maybe a little Landon Collins? How do you think the Giants are going to cover the best tight ends in the league? Yeah, I mean, well, we're going to, they're going to, you know, we're going to see how the linebackers do. They're not going to scheme out of the linebackers at this point. Uh, they're going to, JT Thomas, they, he's their weak side linebacker. So uh, one thing to watch out for, and I saw this on tape a lot, I saw it a couple times in practice already is when I see JT Thomas cover, uh, he has decent speed. He has good speed. He moves well. But he turns his back completely to the quarterback. When then, and then when you can't see the ball, you, you know, you got to be able to see the ball as a pass defender. You hear quarterbacks saying that all the time. So that concerns me. I'm interested to see how that goes. Yeah, I think we all are because those guys, and there's a lot of good tight ends, obviously, in the NFL. It feels like every team has a couple of them. And the Giants are going to have to do uh, a good job there to get through that and get those guys, you know, covered up. I want to ask you guys a question about the depth chart at wide receiver. Missed that one when we were going through the depth chart earlier because the Giants list 12 offensive starters, and that's just the way the NFL is now. I mean, every team has a slot receiver in place three. The Giants put Hynoski out there on the depth chart as well. But they also have Ruben Randall listed as a starter along with Cruz and Beckham. Uh, how has he looked, James? I mean, there's been so – Giants fans are so split, I feel like, on Ruben Randall where – you look at his numbers last year, and that's not bad for Ruben Randall. Yet, you feel like that he could have been more, and he's been a headache for Giants fans in his short career. Has he looked good to you? To me, yes. I've seen he's made some nice catches. He's looked good. You know, I think um, Ryan Series coach Sean Ryan said the biggest thing for him is they need consistency out of him. You know, obviously, you know, last year he got benched a couple of times. That was an issue, but. If they can get consistency out of him, I think they feel he can complement Cruz and Beckham hand in hand, and he can have the same sort of production he had last year. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's too. that's Go pretty ahead, much Jordan. what I, I think that's pretty much what he is, though. What he did last year, I mean, and that was with a lot of targets, targets that he's just not going to get this year. I mean, he he had more targets than Beckham, I think it was. I mean, look at the and look at the difference in the production and the numbers of it. You know, 500 yards or whatever, 605, four, five, 600 yards in in, in more targets. I, so, uh, you know, significantly less touchdowns. I forget what his touchdown number was, maybe six. I don't know. But, uh, you know, Beckham had double the touchdowns or whatever. So, yeah, uh, I think he's a serviceable player. If Victor Cruz is what he is, I, that's sort of what I even see at, at training camp. This is an NFL player, a borderline starter, a definite contributor, a guy who can play well and do some things, but I, uh, you know, whether to, taking it to a, a completely another level, I'm just, I, I don't know. When I look out on the field, I just don't see that. I don't see that kind of explosiveness. So I have to ask Alden Smith, released last week by the San Francisco 49ers, a guy that has just, you know, tremendous talent, all pro talent, uh, but he's obviously fallen into a lot of bad ways off the field, DUIs, and now released by the Niners last week. So he's a free agent, and players like this, James, don't usually fall into free agency uh, in the middle of August, a young, potentially great player. Uh, there were some rumors the Giants among many teams that could be interested. Uh, I know you guys wrote on NJ.com that the Giants probably won't be, and then that's, that's not for real. I mean, what have you heard, and, and do you think the Giants would take a chance on him, James, or, or, is, or are they not the kind of organization that would? 
No, I, I don't think they're going to take a chance. I mean, I mean Jordan wrote it. You know, we've heard this. There's really not anything to this report or I guess it wasn't even a report. It was a tweet that was thrown out there late um, Sunday night. But, I mean, the guy, he's got all these pending charges. You know, he clearly needs some help. I think uh, 49ers coach Jim Tom Sewell basically came out and said that he needs help after they cut him. Uh, GM Trent Baalke, I believe, was with him. That's why he wasn't at the press conference when they cut him. So, I mean, the idea that that this guy, Alden Smith, who clearly needs some help, is going to get released by the 49ers, who by all you know, by all indications were doing everything they could to help him, and he's going to suddenly come across the country and play for the Giants with all these pending legal issues, it just doesn't add up to me. No, it doesn't to me either. And, you know, I think when you add to the fact that the Giants are dealing with their own off-the-field issue. Now, I'm not going to put Jason Pierre-Paul's accident in anywhere close to the same realm as the issues that Alden Smith is going through right now. And he's obviously in a much worse place, you know, just from all of these issues piling on top of each other. But when you think of it from that perspective, the Giants have their own issue with their own star defensive end. It just it, – I couldn't imagine them now bringing in Alden Smith to add to the whole Pierre-Paul thing. Yeah, no, I agree. And the whole the whole idea of why they like to they're, they're desperate for pass rushing help. I mean, yes, Pat, the pass rush is a concern for this team without JPP. But the idea that they would before we even play a preseason game just say, you know what, we're not going to be able to get anything out of Demontre Moore or uh, Owa or any of the other guys we think could could be a factor in that part of the game, and we're just going to go in and bring a guy who's got all these issues. It just again, it just does not add up. All right, we'll take a couple questions from Twitter here, uh, and then we will wrap this one by giving us some thoughts on the passing of Frank Gifford and, you know, one of the stars in the history of the Giants. We had a question here from Frank on Twitter asking, James, if there's a player that you walked into camp not expecting to think would make the roster just based on numbers or where you projected him down on the depth chart, but maybe it stood out, maybe someone Giants fans aren't paying attention to, didn't really know their name yet, but they've played well so far, and, you know, you think maybe if they have a good run in these games, they could make this roster. Well, you know, when I went to camp, you know, it was basically day one for me, so there wasn't really guys I had a preconceived notion of, but Jordan said this, and I've said it too, Trevin Wade has had a really good couple of practices here at camp. Um, he's not very high on the depth chart at the moment, but, you know, he's a guy with some experience, some years in the league that could definitely, with a, with a good preseason, could make a push to make that 53-man roster. How about the other side of that? Same question from uh, our same uh, listener, but I, I thought it was uh, good from the other side. Is there anyone that you, and I know you said you don't have many preconceived notions, but, you know, some of the more established players you know of, just like we all know of, was there, is there anyone that's been a little bit disappointing for you? It could be an established star, could be just a fringe guy, but someone maybe you were expecting a little bit more based on their salary or based on their stature on the team, and they just haven't looked great so far? Well, I think that, you know, in terms of injuries, you got to be kind of disappointed with what you got out of, or you're getting out of Nate Burhey. I mean, obviously, a torn calf muscle is a torn calf muscle, but he's a guy who, who was coming in. He Obviously, he was injured during minicamp and OTAs in the spring, but he's a guy who people probably thought would be one of the favorites to grab a starting job. And now that he's out, you know, indefinitely, you got to wonder if he's even going to make the roster. Last one from Mark here on Twitter. He wants to know about Shane Vereen. And there's been a lot of national stories. I mean, you guys have written about him as well. Um, what he's the kind of element he brings to this Giants offense, but there's been a lot of national stuff that he could be a missing piece here for Eli Manning. Something the Giants haven't had a, that kind of pass catcher out of the backfield in a while. When you guys watch 7-on-7s, 11-on-11s, 
how are the Giants using him? I mean, is this a guy Giants fans should be excited about because it's new and different, especially from their other backs? Oh, I definitely think so. You know, one of the things that stuck out to me is it's not like when they're in 7-7s and 11-11s, he's just coming in every, you know, basically every third down, you know, or a passing situation. You know, he's been in there on first down, second down, third down. You know, he's been getting some carries. Not as many carries necessarily as Andre Williams or Rashad Jennings, but I think they're going to use him beyond the idea if he's just going to come in when they need to throw the ball. So I think he could definitely be a very valuable asset to this team. I think so too. And he, you know, you think back to that Super Bowl, and it felt like uh, whenever the Seahawks covered up those Patriot wide receivers and tight ends and took, on, and took Gronkowski out of the mix, Tom Brady was very comfortable throwing that ball down to Shane Vereen. Uh, and the Patriots, you know, obviously, you know, won a Super Bowl doing yep. that. And he was a big part of it. That, to me, James, that tells you all you need to know. If, if Brady and the Patriots trusted him in that kind of game, I think Eli Manning is going to be very fond of him. Yes, I, I would feel so, that way as well. Yesterday, uh, on Sunday, I should say, uh, the NFL world lost uh, one of their great players from back in the day. And the Giants family lost one of their great players. In fact, uh, it just worked out that way that a couple of weeks ago, we had our Greatest Living Giants mm-hmm. poll and contest on NJ.com. And Frank Gifford, at that point, was named one of the Greatest Living Giants. He passed away uh, this past weekend at the age of 84. And James, you think back to, I mean, you and I, when we grew up, we knew a player he was. We knew what he had meant to the NFL. But you and I first knew of him, the first exposure we had to him was Monday Night Football. And as a broadcaster, and I mean, it's pretty amazing because he was as great of a football player as he was for the Giants. He also excelled as a broadcaster and became almost as famous doing that. Yeah, definitely. No, he, Frank, I mean, obviously, I would be lying if I said I had a tremendous amount of, you know, memories or knowledge about Frank Gifford. You know, he was kind of at the tail end of his broadcasting career when I was starting to first be cognizant of sports and everything. Um, but one of the things that struck me is just what an amazing, you know, it's going to sound cliche, but what an amazing American life. I mean, you know, he's, he's part of the National Football League, you know, during a time when the NFL kind of went from this, you know, regional, you know, afterthought to the NFL, you know, in capital letters as we think of it today. And then to have such a cultural impact on Monday Night Football, you know, and then obviously, you know, he was he was in the news. People knew who he was until, you know, he passed away, obviously being married to a very famous person herself and Kathy Lee Gifford. So that was the biggest thing that struck me. It was just what a life that uh, Frank Gifford led. Yeah, he really did. And talk about timing, as you were just saying there. I mean, his playing career, like, like you're saying, coincided. He played before, but then bridged the gap into the Super Bowl era when everything changed for the NFL. And then, like you said, Monday Night Football. I mean, it's, Monday Night Football now is really just another game in the week, another game in the machine of the NFL. But you know, just judging by people older than us that we talked to and, and a lot of Giants fans who were you know, right around that time they were getting into football, Monday Night Football, when it first launched with him and Cosell and all those guys that were part of it, that was that was the game every week. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we play games on Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. You know, when when there's horrific snow in the Midwest, we play them on Tuesday. Um, so, I, I think that that maybe you're right. Today, people don't really think of Monday Night Football as anything else other than a game. But when he was there, it, it was big time. It was, and he was a big part of it. And the last thought on him, you know, just looking yesterday at some of his accomplishments, uh, it's amazing because he made the Pro Bowl as a wide receiver, a running back, and a, and a defensive back. And, and just the idea of making it as a wide receiver and a running back, I almost feel, and I mean, you and I didn't get a chance to watch him 
play the game. We just saw the highlights and, and we know what he did. But I almost feel like he's a guy that was almost ahead of his time. And like, imagine him in today's game. Where back then the offenses weren't close to as sophisticated, yet he was a standout at wide receiver and running back. And I didn't all these years. I didn't realize just how great of a player he was until really yesterday when I started thinking about him and I, I was researching some of what he did. I mean, I think he was ahead of his time. Imagine him today in today's game. Well, think if it was today's game, I don't see how he probably would ever been allowed to play three positions. You know, he probably would have been penciled into one spot. Um, to me, that's just remarkable, and not just Frank Gifford, but all the Hall of Fame players and the great players from that era that played multiple positions. That you know, some of them didn't leave the field. So, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think it would have been you know, amazing to see what he could have done. You know, he had all those, I think he had the most touchdown passes of any non-quarterback in NFL history. Uh, imagine, you know, the Wildcat craze I know has kind of phased out a little bit, but imagine if he was a Wildcat quarterback today. Yeah, it'd be phenomenal. He, he's one of those great athletes that, um, like, you, you made a good point. If he was, ba- if he was today he wouldn't be allowed to do all those things. But yet you just think of his skill set and what creative offensive minds could do and, and use with him uh, in 2015. He would have been fun to watch. But obviously uh, the whole Giant family and everyone um, you know, lends their condolences to the Gifford family. He was an all-time great Giant uh, and certainly a big part of the NFL. So James, appreciate this here. James and Jordan doing this every week. This was episode 18 of Talk is Cheap. They'll be in Cincinnati as you guys listen to this. And then uh, we have a game coming up on Friday night. And then, James, we'll get together next week. And we actually will have a game to talk about and the Giants against another opponent. That'll be fun to break down. Definitely, Joe. Looking forward to it. All right. There it is. Episode 18 of Talk Sheep. We appreciate everyone listening. And if this is your first time with this podcast, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. We'll be back next week for Episode 19. This has been Talk is Cheap on NJ.com. <laughs>